Hey there, players. I'm Scott Silver. I've spent the last quarter century as a real estate attorney and as an investor. I've met a lot of great people along the way, and I can't wait to introduce you to them. These are the specialists. They're the people that do one special thing. And I'm going to find out exactly what they do and how they and others in their profession can help you succeed in real estate. Some of them provide a service that you'll need on every real estate deal. Others, you'll hope you'll never need. But when you do need them, you'll be glad you know they exist and you heard about them here. Welcome back, listeners. We're here for part two of Josh Pfeffer. Uh, Josh, you were so kind to share with us a half hour in part one, talking all about your career and um, how you became a geologist and your history working for firms uh, that, that did a lot of litigation support, and then, of course, the history with your own firm. And now I want to get more into the nitty-gritty of how to use, uh, how to best use the services of a geologist and to hear some war stories from you about uh, some, some real estate uh, that you've dealt with in Los Angeles and how you, you may have saved some projects. So let's get into a little bit more detail about some of the, um, you, you mentioned some of the soil types and I know the, the, some of these words are thrown around about, you know, sometimes I'll be an escrow on a property and someone will look at a report and go, oh, there's fill, there's fill in this property, you know, and uh, oh, like that's some sort of bad word. But I, I think I recall from conversations we've had in the past, you, you're schooling me about fill. Can you tell the listeners about different types of fill and whether, whether it really uh, is something to be concerned about? Fill is man-made. There's no such thing as natural fill. Hmm. Fill is, that term by definition means there was, and, and think of it this way. So grading that occurs, I always tell people this when I go up into the hills and they say, how is this property developed? And I say, look, God didn't make any flat land in the hillside. Right. It was sloping ground. Man made these lots flat to develop homes on. How did they do that? They essentially cut from the high points and they take that material and they place it in the low points and fill it up. Mm. That's where the term fill came from. Right. You're essentially raising the ground by taking some soil, soil and, and compacting it so the ground becomes higher and higher. Mm -hmm. um, fill is not all the same quality. Mm. Um, prior to 1948, prior to World War II, people built in the flats. There were homes in Hollywood and this, that, and the other thing, but there was no real need to move up into the hillsides. After World War II, when there was this huge population explosion and everyone came back from the war, they started developing these big communities. They filled in the flatlands and then they went up into the hillsides. And in the early 1950s, they were doing major grading jobs, cutting the sides of mountains, filling up canyons with 60 feet of fill, developing all these flat pads for the homes to be in. Mm. And it was completely unregulated. Mm. So much so that in April of 1963, the city of Los Angeles, which is the biggest municipality here in Southern California, and they were the most sophisticated, 
implemented grading requirements, mm -hmm. implemented that a soils engineer had to make sure that compaction testing was being done, that a geologist had to make sure that they were studying the geology, because prior to that, they realized, oh man, we're letting these people do these mass grading jobs of again, cutting and filling, and we're having all sorts of problems, settlement problems, mm -hmm. landslides that are occurring. From that, April of 1963 was the first grading codes that came into being. Mm. From that time, there's been refinements of them. So I can walk onto a piece of property and look at a slope and look at the angle of the slope and tell you whether that was constructed mm. between 19, before 1963, between 1963 and when they made a change into the angles of the slopes in 1978 when there was a lot of El Nino rainfalls that came in over a period of time. It caused a lot of superficial failures, mm. so they changed the gradient. I can go to different municipalities who adopted these grading codes at later times and tell you whether, just by standing there, this fill was placed in a good time or a bad time in terms of how that fill should behave over mm. time. And so you need to know the subtleties of all these different things, mm. which is the reason that I only do work in this one localized area because I just don't know what it's like down. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know what it's like down these other areas. Would you buy a hillside home built before 1963? I live in a flat area in Brentwood <laughs> okay. and I've been here my entire life. I can't have a slope failure because I don't have a slope. Okay. Having said that, I love the views. Yeah. I love the views from certain properties. You know, if you go into the Santa Monica Mountains, and you go to the north side of Mulholland, there's a certain type of bedrock there that's oriented to the north. It's just how the geology has formed over these last several millions of years. And if you buy a house that has a north-facing slope, it has the potential to be problematic. But if the slope faces to the west, it's completely fine. If it faces to the east, it's fine. If it's to the south, it's mm. going to be okay. It, it's so specific hmm. that you need someone with my expertise yeah. to tell you. So the answer is yes, I would live in the hillside, but only on the right piece of property. <laughs> right. You're saying you would buy a house built before 63, but only if it met certain requirements and was sitting on certain it, types of rock. Right. Yeah. Probably it's more going to be bedrock than fill. The other thing yeah. about fill placement is, is while it may settle when you first wet it or it goes through some cycles of seismic events and the like, mm -hmm. it, it's what I tell people all the time. I'd rather see a home that's 40 years old than mm -hmm. see a home that's two years old. Because the 40-year-old home is going to have all these things or the mechanisms that can cause bad behavior in mm -hmm. the underlying soils will have taken place. So most fill, when it's placed, will settle, if it's going to settle, not all of it does, mm -hmm. it will settle, for the most part, within the first 20 years or so after it's placed. So if I'm looking at a property, it may have a lot of differential thickness of fill, that is, it may have five feet of fill under one side of the house and that 50 feet on the other, and if it all settles uniformly, the house will tilt towards the deep fill. But if we're hit 50 years later, and I measure the house and it's tilting two inches, I may be able to say to you, look, this house is tilted two inches, but there's no cracks in the walls. Mm. And the counters, they've replaced them and they're all level. This settlement that's occurred, occurred a long time ago. 
Mm. And the amount of future settlement that you have may be very minor mm. versus walking into a house that may be beautiful and built a couple of years ago and say, I'm not so sure if they would have had to do this field correctly. Otherwise, you are going to get some settlement and cracking and associated with stress that mm. you're not going to want to deal with. So it really is dependent on time, placement, what it was like beforehand, who did the work, what governance was there, what requirements for inspections is what mm. I mean by government. Is the firm that did the work, are they a reputable firm, mm. are they sending out their cousin just to you know bill some time and not actually test anything? It, it all is dependent, and it's, it's too bad that it's so... I always joke in my profession that... Um, you know, if we were doctors, the bottom 50% would be killing patients right and left. Of course, in the United States, they say 100,000 people die a year from medical malpractice and don't even know it. So right. doctors are killing people. Right? <laughs> right. But in general, it, yeah. it, you do want a good geologist who's doing the work on your property, or at right. least you want someone who knows what they're doing, doing their due diligence yeah. you before you buy that property. Unfortunately, the, the geologist that finishes last in their class is, still gets the same title as the one in the... I've, I've met some bad lawyers that, that I, I wish they didn't get their JD. Um, so it sounds like in general, the, the risk of settlement sort of goes down over time. They've done these studies over time, and mm -hmm. there's a certain there's a time displacement, and mm -hmm. there's the amount of settlement, and the curve tends to you know there's all these asymptotic curve, uh, asymptotic curves, mm -hmm. and um, they start out very robust when you first get the initial wedding cycle, and then they diminish over time. So yes, yeah, it just depends on where you are in the curve of that material. Sometimes clay soils take longer to settle than sandier soils, and there can be a lot of difference between the reasons that they settle. So, again, it's all part of the scientific cocktail that you got to okay. kind of shake up and, and figure out. Right. Okay. So you're looking at the soil, looking at the the uh, surface water and how it's interacting with the soil, and then um, do you also is part of your services or discipline dealing with uh, seismic, with earthquakes and, and potential for earthquake? Yeah, I mean, in the sense that earthquakes happen, and they, again, we talked about the Midwest, where they're relatively rare, so they don't need geologists as much as they do here. That's mainly for development, mm -hmm. because whether you have an earthquake fault or not, and whether it's active or inactive, and if it's on your property or off your property, those sorts of things, it, it almost is a zero or one. For instance, I did the 40-story high-rise development on Moreno next to Beverly Hills High School, 10,000 Santa Monica. They purchased the property some years before. It was actually kind of an interesting thing where, if you remember the old development company, SunCal had outbid Donald J. Trump for the piece, this two-acre parcel at the corner where there was this famous old restaurant and mm. they bought it for $97 million or something like that. Right. They went bankrupt in the 2008 crash. Lehman Brothers was actually the money behind a lot of the deals that they did. I was in that bankruptcy with all sort of crazy. Money. Oh, really? At the time, I got a sole report approved at the city. This is now 2007 when I got that report approved. 
there was not a regulation that required you to do a seismic investigation for an earthquake fault. Mm -hmm. When they bought it, it was decided this was a big thing that we did all this consulting mm -hmm. with the MTA because the mayor yeah. was going to put the subway and you know about the subway going right. to Beverly Hills High School and all the litigation that was involved there. Well, the Metro decided to draw earthquake faults through my client's property. Yeah. And they, you know, the property that was purchased for about a hundred million dollars in 2007 ish time uh, was purchased for, you know, 35 cents on the dollar by this new company out of bankruptcy in, you know, early two, 2010s. Mm. And, uh, they said, okay, we're ready to build this property. And then the MTA came out and put a fault line <laughs> through them, right? And they right. said, well, what does that mean? I said, well, if the fault really exists and it's an active fault, then you can't build anything in the property. I'm sorry. <laughs> and the guy said, I just paid $40 million for this. <laughs> and it was like, I'm sorry, you, you're either going to turn it into a park or you'll give it to some conservancy or whatever. And it'll be a <laughs> Take the write-off. In the neighborhood. Yeah. Or there's no fault. And so faulting is actually quite, we did a big investigation. We had yeah. a 300 foot long, 20 foot deep trench, hmm. crawling over it with geologists. We proved that there was no earthquake fault there. They obviously built their development. Yeah, it's beautiful. Metro with all of their experts and millions of dollars of investigation was totally wrong. Wow. We proved that they were wrong. We got it approved. And, but that's a zero or one. There's no like, uh, if, you, if it's there, you can't build. And if it's not there, you can't build. Mm. So, and these regulations change all the time. So mm. for instance, the capital records project yeah. was, we're working on that as the geotechnical engineer. Okay. Two 40, 50 story high rise development over a common 60 foot deep five-story parking, five mm. levels of underground parking. And they were sued before we were working on it. They were sued because of the regulations regarding faulting were kind of lax in the city of LA. Silverstein, the attorney who sues every development in the Hollywood area, sued them. And um, it changed the earthquake requirements, the seismic fault hazard regulations in all of Southern California. Mm. From that time, we've done you know, several millions of dollars worth of investigation in the last few years for people developing mm. that we would not have had to do 10 years ago because wow. the regulation didn't exist. Mm -hmm. um, when you brought up the term seismic and you know, every few years the seismic code changes, mm -hmm. it's something we include in every single report. Um, but it's only really important if you're near an active fault or right. not, because that's really can you build or not build. Right. It's not a function of, yeah, you got to put some extra steel or some extra concrete in your building and it will be fine, because mm -hmm. while there's a fault, it's a half a mile away and it's just ground shaking. Right. Whether you can build on an earthquake fault or not is a completely separate animal, mm -hmm. and it affects you know billions of dollars of development. Mm -hmm. and, we do the consulting on it. So if I ask you for a due diligence report for property in LA, is that one of the things you look at, the fault map, to see if there's a fault? The two main things we look at to make sure that there's not a catastrophic problem mm. 
with the property are landslides if you're in a hillside environment mm. or earthquake faults if you're on the flatlands. Okay. There's really no real faulting right. in the hillsides. To speak right. Of. It tends to be in the, the, at the foothills or into the flat areas. Mm-hmm. Once we're talking about that, everything else is an engineering problem. Mm. Maybe there's 20 feet of soft soil, so you got to put your case on. So maybe there was an old stream bed that went through your property, right. so that's it's not as homogeneous as the material would think, and you got to do some extra grading. But it's all solvable at right. that point. It right. may cost you some more money, but it's a solvable equation. Whereas these catastrophic potential issues may not be solvable at all. It's like I tell my clients: we may. You know, they can send a man to the moon. They may not always get him back, but we can send a man to the moon. We can build on a piece of property. So whether it's feasible. for those few properties right. that you just can't build on. Right. I don't care how much money you have. Yeah. This is going to be yeah. too much brain damage. It's going to take too long. And, you know, I've got plenty of billionaire clients that we do work for. Again, lots of people want 50,000 square foot homes up in the hills. They spend $75 million building them. We're glad to do the geology on them. But even those people, if they spend too much money on the property, yeah. or what they thought they were going to spend 50 is really going to cost them 120 and it's going to take an extra four years to get in there because they're not going to be able to get it entitled and built easily. Yeah. They get pissed off. It's real money. A few million adds up. Before yes. you know it, it's real money. We try to advise our clients beforehand. There's many projects that we turn away, especially more so the sophisticated developer sort of knows what they're going into, but we get right. lots of calls from newbies and they buy these vacant pieces of property and they... They, these properties sell for fifty to three, four hundred thousand dollars. They think they're getting a great deal. And I say, how many times, how many properties have you developed uh, in the LA area? Yeah. Give me your history a little bit. Let's. This is going to be a partnership. Tell me. You know, they of course haven't really done anything, or they haven't done anything in the hillsides. And I say, look, I'm not going to be a partner to this crime. You are <laughs> going to. You think you're going to build something. You think you're going to develop. You think you're going to make money. And five years from now, you're going to be out of money and out of, there's just too much brain damage right. to go around. I don't want to be involved. If right. you want to pursue it, go call somebody else. But my advice is you do not buy this piece of property. That's <laughs> actually quite good advice that we give people and they're very thankful for that. You make sometimes more profit on the ones that you didn't buy um, just by dodging the bullet. So the, the fault line that you proved by digging it sounds like you investigated you went down far enough and wide enough long enough discovered that fault line is not there um does that mean that you created value for everyone on down the line westfield and everyone else down on little santa monica by uh did they now remove the placement of that fault line or is it only does it only affect that property it was a north-south oriented fault. It's called the Newport Inglewood Fault. Oh, okay. It comes up from the, the south and has historically been active. And that um, fault did not affect Westfield, but of mm-hmm. course it did affect the site to the north. And that site directly to the north is the old Candy and Candy site. Um, there's been plenty of investigation on there. That's where the Beverly Hilton Hotel is. Right. Um, it's been shown that there's no active fault that comes through there. The other fault that Westfield had to deal with was the 
east-west oriented Santa Monica Fault right. that runs down Santa Monica Boulevard. We didn't actually have to worry about that in oh. Santa Monica because I said <laughs> we're not going to because it had, hadn't been zoned. Um, so I refused. They were, Some of the regulators wanted us to do the investigation. I said, you can't make us do something that's not yet zoned because the Santa Monica Fault hadn't been zoned at that time. That was an absolute can of worms to open yeah. that because nobody had any idea what was going on with that fault. So mm. I guess to say that fault could yeah. exist underneath my client's property, but who the hell cares because they were able to build it. But Westfield did a comprehensive investigation and found that that fault doesn't exist. I've done uh, a half a dozen fault investigations right in that area, but mm -hmm. the Santa Monica fault that it doesn't exist, although it does apparently exists because we got a call from a guy whose geologist kind of screwed them. That's the property, that's the vacant piece of land on the southwest corner, I believe it's Beverly Glen and uh, Santa Monica. It may remain vacant forever. <laughs> apparently the previous geologist said that they found something. Uh, Again, yeah. when you find, I can tell you the history of why, but there's a 1972 law that passed hmm. in California that says if you find an act of fault, we don't care that you can mitigate against its movement with an engineering design. Instead of using a two-foot-thick foundation, you can use a ten-foot-thick foundation. Or put it on springs or something, right? But that's not how the law is written. Then the law is written is if you find it, you can't build across it. Wow. So, for instance, the development that's on Sunset in West Hollywood, where the old House of Blues used to be, mm -hmm. is a new, beautiful, there's a hotel adjacent to the street, and there's residences to the south, and the hotel and the residences are separated by about hundred feet because the geologists that worked on that property said that they found a fault. Wow. And you have to step back from the fault 50 feet on the other huh. side. I was contacted by them and I told them that I, I thought the investigation that was done was not well done and I wasn't totally sure that the fault existed and I probably could have gotten the setback reduced. Some municipalities are more amenable to getting a distance from an active fault and you can build your building to mm -hmm. it can be some municipalities will allow five feet away mm -hmm. some require 50 feet we thought we could get that reduced they decided not to go with us and build their building and it's a beautiful courtyard <laughs> in the center 100 feet yeah. of this kind of small lot and it's probably worth several tens of millions of dollars of development that can never happen again what can you put on the fault line? You can put uh, uh, just, it's just grass. It's just like a courtyard for the most part. Yeah. So the, the law is well written. It's essentially it's in anything that's non-habitable structures. So you can put a tennis court, a swimming oh. pool, grass, walkways. I think a swimming you can pool. a gazebo. <laughs> you may be able to uh, put some parking structures or the laws okay. written and you have to have less than 2,000 person hours of habitability into it so you know that actually is kind of an interesting thing if you build a parking structure that's non-habitable but right. if it's got 500 spaces and everybody comes in there for 10 minutes a day <laughs> and all 500 spaces are filled up so yeah it's fine
If you build a swimming pool on a fault, do you have so to put a sign instance, up to say a, you could yeah, drown during an earthquake? <laughs> it may fall into I a fault. I did a geo report for a west side country club. Yeah. We built a new swimming pool. It's quite oh. beautiful. Okay. Um, and I've got the greatest photographs of a fault that goes right through it. Wow. And everyone was in a tizzy, the contractor was in a tizzy, project manager, and I said, yeah, don't worry about it. It's a, it's a fault. It's a real fault, but it's a swimming pool. And by law, you don't have to stock your project for a swimming right. pool. It's a non-habitable structure, and they built it, and it's beautiful. And uh, I guess someone else could have made a big deal of it, and they could still be in litigation and not built their thing years later. But yeah. Um, you, you've got to know what you're talking about. You have to understand, again, as a client advocate, it's you know, what you want to do for science or you want to do to cover your own ass may not be to your client's benefit. And ultimately, I'm in the industry of helping my clients succeed in what they yeah. want to achieve. But people should jump out of the pool if they sense a quake. The odds of uh, <laughs> that fault opening up. That happening <laughs> at that time is. We might as well be worried about yeah. meteors falling from the sky or, you know, right. the space station cracking up. What was the movie oh, Gravity? You're, you're not worried about all those things? Yeah, yeah, I tend not to worry about things that I can't control. Right. Likely are not going to happen for a million years. I'll, I'll leave that up to you. I always say to my clients, yeah. we geologists are great at predicting failure. We're just terrible with the time. So what could happen next Tuesday can also happen right. in 50,000 years. I can guarantee it's going to happen, right. but you know, some things you just don't need to worry about. I just have one more practical question for you, at least I feel it's practical, which is on all the construction projects that I've been involved with, and most of them have been for retail properties, I noticed that there's a... Um, there's always a soils report, and the report says how everything should be graded, and it's very technical and specific. I noticed during the construction, there's, I think it's a third-party company gets hired out to check from time to time. Can you, it's never been explained to me exactly that process, and how do you know that your contractor is actually following the instructions on the grading to a T? Yeah, I mean, look, it's a regulated industry. So I was at a pre-grade meeting this morning for a new house being built in Malibu. It's a four-lot subdivision. It's right across from the beach. The houses will sell for $10 million each. They're all going to be beautiful. So what was the pre-grade meeting? The pre-grade meeting is exactly what it sounds like. It's the pre-the meeting you have with the city inspector, mm -hmm. the geologist, and the guy who's going to do the grading work and the developer before you actually do any work. And we met, and the city guy said, okay, when you, so the, they, they have a system. Okay. The contractor needs, so in this case, we're doing a fairly typical five foot deep removal and recompaction of the upper soil so that you can give a nice, compacted, uniform condition underneath the building so that when you dig your future foundations, the building's going to behave just fine. It's got a uniform condition behind it, whereas mm -hmm. the soil may have some variation in it beforehand. And so there's a system. We have a pre-grade meeting. 
when they open up the bottom, we are supposed to come out, we write a memo that says whether it's competent and acceptable for them to place compacted fill. They have to mm -hmm. call the city and the city that needs to come out and they say, hey, where's your geologist memo? Mm -hmm. They show them our memo and then they sign off on a card that says we were here and approved the bottom. They're just visibly inspecting. They're visibly inspecting, but there's a paper trail to all of this as well. There's our observation field mm -hmm. memo. There's the city inspector's sign-off of the mm -hmm. work that we okayed. We then come back, and by regulation, we have to test the fill compaction, how well they're doing, what the density of it is, how good the water content of it is. Mm -hmm. We check that minimum of every two feet that it goes in. Mm -hmm. We have to write a report afterwards that goes to the city. So to answer your question, there should be a comprehensive paper trip. You should be getting billing from the geotech that says, I was at the site on these dates. Here's what I did. Mm. There'll be field memorandums that we write on mm. these triplicate pieces of paper. Mm. One goes to our file, one goes to the building and department, one goes to the client itself and that document what we did when we were out there. Mm -hmm. And then we write a comprehensive compaction report afterwards that says, this is what we were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. This is what they, we did. This is what we observed. This is a summary of the compaction work that we did. Mm -hmm. So there should be a paper trail. In all the litigation work that I've done, have people tried to cut corners? Some people hired their cousin, who's also happened to be uh, a geotech, to <laughs> oh, right. monitor their project. Right. They may not have been out there all the time, right. but they said they're going to be out there. Yes, I've dealt with litigation where homes have settled, and you look at the compaction report that was written, and you're like, these numbers don't make any sense. These numbers are not real-world numbers. They all, you know, when you test the moisture content of the soil, when you test the density, there's some variation. You know when someone goes out there and says, this was 117.0, the next one is 118.0, and this one is It's Even. statistically impossible for everything to be the point zero. Right. They just were sloppy and they're lying, and it was obviously easy to say that they manufactured yeah. this data back in the in the office. Mm. There's a term for it in our industry. It's called dry labbing. Mm. Dry labbing means you didn't do any real laboratory testing. It's, <laughs> it was all dry. You, you <laughs> dry on the computer. And, and if you have a discerning eye, you can figure it out. Mm. But again, for the most part, like the mm. joke I made before about the doctors, and for the most part, everyone tries to behave and do a good job. And the Bad players that occur over time hopefully get found out. Weed it out. Like in any industry, yeah. it doesn't matter what industry you're in, law or yeah. finance or geology. Well, Josh, thanks a million for your time. I hope I haven't taken up too much of it, but uh, I did have a lot of questions about your profession, and you've been a bit of a mystery man to me, how you got into this and how it all works. So I've, uh, it's true, you've straightened me out quite a bit, and not, not enough that I can do without you, that's for sure. We like to help our clients. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Good talking to you. Appreciate yeah, it. absolutely. Thank you.